Hi all and welcome to Prepare Like a Pro live chats. My name is Jack McLean. I founded Prepare Like a Pro early in the year. I'm a strength and conditioning coach working with male and female footballers all across the country. And if you're interested in working with me, I have a website, preparelikeapro.com, where you can check out my website and check out my professional services. I'm excited to announce and welcome Andrew Lambart. For those that don't know, Bart, he has been the head physio at the Hawthorne Football Club for the last 16 years. I was lucky enough to work with Bart at Hawthorne, where he was heavily involved, not only leading the medical team, but working closely with the high-performance team, managing individual training loads, as well as return-to-play rehabilitation. During his time at Hawthorne, he, had, he was involved in four premierships, has completed the Kokoda Trail with staff and players, and in 2018, Bart was awarded a life member of the Hawthorne Football Club, which is a true testament to his commitment to his craft. He's the current AFL physio president as well. So we're just waiting for Bart to join us. How are you, Jack? Going well, Bart, yourself? Yeah, going well. Thanks I uh, joined managed, us, mate. And pick up a little bit of that, that intro. Very, very nice yeah. words, kind words. Kind words. I snuck in the Kokoda Trail, mate, to give you a few brownie points. Well, I, not, I noticed that there was a picture of me, uh, me and Sam Mitchell <laughs> at the Kokoda Trail. Certainly brings, brings back uh, some good memories. I think you're in my top five most likes. You're at about 123 at the moment. Oh wow! Okay, that's 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 interesting because that's a bit of pressure, is it? No, it's good. It's good. Competing <laughs> lids. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is around the corner. I'll, I'll be sure to pop round and let him know. <laughs> Let's get um, straight into it, mate. I'm, I'm interested to hear the beginning of your celebrated career. When did it start? When did you first decide that you're going to be a physio and, and take on? The studies of, of the physio degree. Yeah, okay. Gee, well, we're going back a fair way. So I, I, I did physio straight out of school and I really probably got into physio at, at that stage as a 16, 17, 18 year old kid. I was, I was, I was into footy, but I was also pretty strongly into athletics. So I was an 800 meter runner trying to, trying to make it in the, in the big uh, international world. And I probably saw it as a way to stay involved in sport in some way because I love sport so much. So, so really, so that's how it, how it sort of started initially. Yeah, and then I guess when I realised that the, the track and field uh, career wasn't, wasn't going to kick off, I then started working with a lot of the track and field athletes that I was training with because I was a physio at that stage. So I, yeah, I, I actually moved back to Geelong, which was my hometown, and I, I moved at, back to Geelong to train with a pretty, a pretty successful running group down in Geelong. Yep. We got like, you know, Lee Troop, Georgie Clark, Craig Mottram, and, and those guys all made the Sydney 2000 Olympics. So it was sort of at that point in time that I started working with elite athletes. And I guess my initial my initial foray in, into elite sport was really with track and field. So I worked with, with Athletics Australia from 2001 until 2006, which I went to the 2004 Athens Olympics as uh, Australian track and field physio. That's oh, one off. Fantastic. Yep. And then you know, and there was a couple of uh, Commonwealth Games thrown in there as well, a couple of world championships. So, so yeah, it was pretty that, – that, so that was my start. But obviously the world of a, of a travelling physio with track and field is uh, a long, long periods of time spent overseas. So yeah. that, so I guess, really – I guess when an opportunity 
came to to, to get into into AFL, I, I jumped at it really, and that was in that was at the end of two thousand and four at Hawthorne Footy Club when when Clarko arrived, and yeah, there was a bit of a, a, a clean out really of the whole staff football department at, at, out of the Hawks, and so that's when it all started. So fantastic. And yeah. in two thousand and four, what was the medical team? What did it look like when you started there? Well, we had we had two part-time doctors. So that was uh, one of our doctors is still still with us now, Michael McGeesey and uh, Pete McQueen. He was he's actually just retired. He went he was at North Melbourne and at um, Collingwood Footy Club, and uh, we had it was a bit different. We had myself. I was part-time, and another physio, Randall Cooper, was also part-time, and we sort of job shared. But we need we needed two physios on on match day. Yeah, so uh, we had two physios. We had a podiatrist. We had pretty much two in the strength and conditioning team so it was a lot it was a very condensed footy department and medical team the elite performance team was a lot different at the end of 2004 to what it is now yeah for sure and how did you guys manage rehab was that like if you're both at game day did that mean re- for the guys on saturday at the club they sort of did it on their own the players drove it or uh, yeah, often, or one of us would one of us would be there in the morning if we travelled. <laughs> Look, in those days, it was quite interesting, but there weren't that many interstate games. And mm. yeah, I guess you know a lot of them were Saturday. We we had a lot of Saturday games in those days. That was when the Saturday afternoon time slot was the traditional two two p.m. time slot on a Saturday was first and foremost. So no, we yeah, just so- seemed. It's an interesting question, but I know that we, we would have been out there early on a Saturday morning before before a game, um, working with the rehab guys and then and then going straight into the game. Yeah, yeah. And so going back to um, your progression, so with the track and field, was that you were travelling with the team, so uh, that was a paid role, was it part-time, full-time, straight away? Like, how, what was the progression in your track and field as a physio? Yeah, well, it was slightly... Look, it's really different, and I guess there might be some young physios sort of listening in, but I think progression in, into uh, elite track and field is, look, I, I was passionate about athletics, and I think that's the first thing you've got to be. You've got to be passionate about, the, the I guess, the area of work that, you, that, that you're undertaking, and I was certainly really helping young athletes probably to yep. try and achieve what, what I was unable to achieve. So I did, I did do a lot of, I guess, volunteer stuff. It didn't seem like volunteer stuff because I loved it. I was, I was going to the athletics meetings anyway the track and field guys you know in that instance and then and then it probably just slowly progressed into obviously when we when you traveled away you that was full time so you got paid a a, a weekly wage by athletics australia which wasn't a huge you know it wasn't wasn't a huge wage but it was fun you know different you were traveling overseas spending you know up to three months overseas missing out on the fantastic old melbourne winters and uh spending time in europe you know in zurich and yeah, nice. Yeah. These are uh, all these wonderful places. So, and I guess at that point, I, I was pretty firmly entrenched. I was doing some work with obviously Athletics Australia, but I was also working with Victorian Institute of Sport. So mm. I was doing three three sessions a week at, at, at actually in it. It was actually where Collingwood train now, the Holden Centre. So we, we oh, yeah, based, yeah. I worked at Olympic Park Sports Medicine Centre, the Victorian Institute of Sport. A little bit of stuff with Athletics Australia, and that was how I sort of, I guess, got got my or cut my teeth, so to speak. Yeah, you know, yeah. Elite sport to start off with, but it certainly was pretty challenging. It's not like, not like a football football club role, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. 
And did you have someone that took you under your wing back in those days and sort of, I guess, mentored you or gave you guidance? Is there someone that's or, or yeah. people that have influenced you strongly throughout your yeah. career? Yeah, absolutely. You've got to have a got to have a good mentor, I, I believe. And there were certainly lots that I can I can recall. I mean, physios, and she's mainly in research now. But Kay Crosley, you know, she was I actually started working in, in at Olympic Park. She went on maternity leave, and she was working a lot with with track and field athletes. So, so I got my start in at Olympic Park. And Peter Bruckner, who who yeah. some people but he's you know he's been around the world and, and done lots of things but he certainly was a big support for me early on as well and actually was instrumental in 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 in, in our team starting at in at the Hawks you know, at the end of 2004 that was a lot of awesome. to do with Brookie so yeah look they're, they're two key people but gosh in my athletics days there were lots of physios that I that I learned so much off and I guess that's look it's like anything it's like a young athlete that's trying to you know trying to progress in the world of elite sport it was, wasn't dissimilar to a young physio trying to progress. And you've really just got to be really open-minded, take it all in, you know, have that, have a, have a real learning, you know, a want to, and a need and a desire to learn. So I think yeah. that's where it all started for me, really. Yeah. Well, you're getting some nice love hearts there. Someone's, someone's liking what you're saying. Did you see those? Yeah, I saw some love hearts. Who, do we know who did? <laughs> Might have been Will Days joined in. Uh, <laughs> hey. You got a few of the boys signed in. Maybe it was it was one of those. Um, the so 2004 to I guess throughout the last few years, you mentioned there's been a lot of change in the sort of the performance medical team. What are some areas for, for developing footballers that you've seen, like systems that have been put in place? What, what's the biggest area of growth, whether it be hamstring prevention or groin injuries? What, what's an area where you've seen the industry grow the most? Right. Now I'm saying, yeah, there's there's people on here because I'm I'm getting I'm getting heckled heckled here <laughs> by little chat. <laughs> <laughs> Some private messages on the go. Are you allowed to re read them out? Four-time premiership physio Andrew Lambert bearing me up here. Uh, well, I think the I think the main one of the main things that that has changed from the early days is that I mean you might remember that. A long, uh, well, it was a fair while ago, but it was, it was certainly it was when I started at, at the Hawks. Osteitis pubis was was a really big thing, and if you got yeah, osteitis yeah. pubis as a young footballer, which lots of people did, I mean, Hodgie, Hodgie, I think had it. I think he had it in two thousand and two and two thousand and three, and I, I think what the main thing that we've that we've learned since since those days is that we've well, we've become a lot better at implementing really strong programs really strong programs that yes help troublesome calves lids definitely definitely we've got <laughs> for, oh, for no. calves. but also look, we're, our groin management programs our preventative programs around groin and hip our hamstring prevention and strength training that we certainly do and implement at an early age for these young footballers has been a, a major change and i think a part of that we've been able to do that because really of probably of staffing you know in those days as i said we had we were really light on but just mm. I guess probably five years from that point in time, I guess when you, you know, fast to 2010, and we were starting to potentially have three three physios working full-time in a, in, a, in a club. So we were able to have potentially one physio mm. that, that really dedicated their time to the developing players. And you'd, you'd know what that was like, because I guess when you were at the club, that was one of your roles. You were, you were sort of yeah, um, 
of those of developing players and and who worked pretty pretty strongly with Anthony Fernan at that time who was who was also had a really you know really strong passion for for these developing young players so you put these programs in place and you yeah. really roll loads and that was what I mean that was what you you that was right up your alley wasn't it I mean that's your cup of tea it's your bread and butter and you know how to do it and that's where all, all these guys that are you know that are logging on and and be, being a part of your program get the benefit yeah. of these in terms in terms of controlling loads. So, sure. so there's there's some of the changes. The, the implementation of GPS units has yep. been a real game changer because we now can we now know how much um, load we're getting into young players, and we know that young players can't take um, as much you know or as yeah as much load as, as some of the more mature and older bodied athletes. Yeah, the OP is an interesting one because it, it definitely had a lot of fear around it. And then it seemed to, to just drop off, but there was still groin overload injuries, groin tightness, whatever you want to call it. It was it was had a different word. And then I've noticed it sort of seems to maybe have crept up a little bit where now it's diagnosed. What why did the industry go away from just saying it was OP? Like was it being over No I think diagnosed that back then or I think there was a lot of hip hip joint pathology that was thrown into it. So we went through an o, an, an osteitis pubis era and then we yeah. transitioned into a lot of young people having um, hip surgery, hip scopes to try and help, help with cam impingements and things like that. So we've probably gone away from from the hips now and we know how to manage even some of these hip, hip joint pathology a little bit better. So no, they're, they're certainly, it's still a really relevant injury and particularly mm. young developing athlete, it's it's really important. But I, I just think we know, as I said, we know how to put the programs in place a lot better to help support uh, those injuries and, and, and actually prevent those injuries. So they're still yeah. there, but we're, we're managing them a lot better and we're preventing them a lot better as well. Yeah, for sure. So groins, yeah, there's been a huge amount of growth in that area. What about, uh, is there any other areas that you've seen the industry really develop quite significantly over the over the your years? Uh, look, there's constant work going on in regards to hamstring injuries. One thing I would say is that the recurrence rate for hamstring injuries has has decreased a bit. So we yeah. now know a lot more about, I guess, the real anatomy of what happens when you strain your hamstring. So yeah. we, we're trying, once again, to put really diligent programs in place to help strengthen hamstrings. But we, we also know that it's, ju- it's not just um, a strength deficit that causes hamstring injuries. Mm. There are lots of things. They're multifactorial. So it is related to load and fatigue and even sleep, you know, yeah. wellness. Is all these wellness markers, you know, are really important also. So it's so I think that what what we're what we're doing is we're gaining more understanding in terms of all the things that contribute to to injury. So we're a lot a lot more holistic in terms of managing and thinking some of these these things now. But hamstring injuries, look, we we know a bit more about them. They still occur. The data has been very constant over a, a probably a ten year period. I guess the game the game. I don't know if this, has it got more demanding potentially. Like it's well, a lot faster. That, Exactly what I say. There's, there's no doubt the game has become faster and more dynamic. Players, there's the, you know, the stress that players put through their bodies, uh, you know, is a yeah. lot greater. And but that's not only for, for through the game itself, but it's, it's the training that, that the guys are doing. There's a lot more football specific training that are, with AFL nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. In pre-season, when I first started, it was sort of, look, we, Clarko was always a little bit different. We always got the footies out before Christmas. But, you know, in some clubs, you'd, you'd say, oh, no, the footies aren't, aren't coming out until after Christmas. So prior to Christmas, it was just yeah, straight. Right. 
So I guess that's one thing that the, cha- the there's a lot more football specific change of direction, deceleration, acceleration work that's occurring at, at training now, which puts a lot of le- a load on the body, puts a lot of load through the knees and and you know and calves. That's that's for you, yeah. lids. <laughs> yeah. So so there's yeah, it's just the demands are, are, are a lot greater. I would say. Yeah, definitely. And for anyone that's watching as well, this is a Q and A, so. Don't feel like I'm the only one that has to ask questions. If you want to ask Bart a question, just hit that question mark button on the bottom of your screen uh, and you can type away and, and we'll get to you at, at some point during this chat. So from the developing footballers, there, there would definitely be a few that are watching. So what are some things maybe they might not have access to to gym yet? Or are you strong on what age a, a kid should start lifting in the gym? Is there, is there a an age is it? A, is it a training age thing that you think? I think it's a little bit horses for courses. I think you can do if someone's pretty young and underdeveloped. I, I still think that there's some really good lifts that you can do, as you'd know, some really good stuff that you can do in the gym, and and some things that you should do. But yeah, look, it's it's it is really variable, and I don't think there's a recipe necessarily for everyone. But I think mm. that the most important thing is to start gradually and yep. start at a lower level and and progress in a graduated manner. That would be my advice. You know, to, to to younger younger footballers for sure. Yeah, and like you've seen a lot of successful footballers at your time at Hawthorne. Is there something that footballers can do in the off season that you've seen has had a trend of success, whether it be track and field, wrestling, get a combat coach, or psychology? Any tips or tricks that you feel people yeah. can be doing away all, from the club or in, or during off season, or you know. All- all of those things. I think, well, you did mention like the, the, the psychology side of things. I mean, the one thing I would say of the very successful um, people and footballers that I've got to know over the years, and not, not just footballers, athletes, they've all got a really, uh, they've got a steely resolve. They've got a, sort of like an inbuilt determination to, to keep pushing. And I guess they're, one thing that I've noticed as well is that they're very resilient. They cope with, with setbacks and bounce out of them really quickly. Now, that may, that may be some long-term setbacks, but it, it may often be responding to immediate feedback as well. So some of these guys that are that are really successful seem to be able to take the feedback on board and not hold on to it, just move yeah. on and then come yeah. back and think about it later on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I guess that's, yeah, I, I guess that's one. So I guess certainly this, the mental side of things. Um, yeah, for sure. One area that I could say for young developing athletes to certainly sink their teeth into. And do those, um, those elite players that you noticed, did they have it from day one or did they work on that and develop that? during their time at the Some club. of them, yes, it's an interesting question. Some of them, had it grew. Some of them, as they were as I was sort of young and a little bit more immature, they didn't quite have it. They didn't quite get it. Perhaps they were a little bit ha- more happy-go-lucky, um, at, yeah, you know, yeah. in their days, but then they certainly developed it later on. So, and I think that's the, that's the other thing that I've found is that when we're talking about development, mm. a lot of these successful people have had really inquisitive minds. So they, they haven't necessarily just done things because someone's come in and told them to do it. So mm. they've really asked questions and done their own research and, and tried to work out why, you know, the why, just not the, not the how, I guess. Yeah, so, sure. And that, that probably leads into some of the things that you were talking about, like, you know, in terms of the wrestling, you know, if you think that if, if someone's identifying and thinking, oh, I've got a real, you know, I'm not holding tackles, you know, I'm not really strong enough in the contest, then that could be really important for their development. So I think, you know, being able to identify areas of weakness is really important. 
But yeah. I'm a strong believer as well, Jack, in that many, in many cases, we often concentrate too much on our weaknesses and sometimes mm. just forget about our strengths. So I guess my mentality has always been, well, you've got these strengths that have got you where you, you know, where, where you are and you can't forget yeah. those. And all athletes yeah. will, will have some really important things that are, you know, that, that, that are their strengths. So they can't work on, you know, work on their weaknesses and neglect yeah. their, that would be a re really um, important thing, I think, you know, for, for a younger athlete. Yeah. Yeah. I think of that quote, I think it was Chris Jard, if you've got lemons, make lemon juice type of thing, like, you know, which it, it is, I know something that Sam Mitchell was strong on, wasn't it? Like something he learned during his time at Hawthorne, strengthen his strengths rather than focusing all his energy on, on well, his weaknesses. Well, absolutely. I mean, someone, <laughs> I think, and Mitch wouldn't mind me saying it, but, you know, he wasn't the most uh, physically blessed athlete. He had really good characteristics in terms yeah. of his change direction and he, and he made the, the game slow down. But if I, I think if, if someone had got to Mitch um, and said, oh, we really need to try and make you into a better runner. And, you know, yes, you can improve, but improve those things, but never, you know, at the, you know, never compromised his strengths. And I think that's a really important yeah, really important point. Yeah, that's a great, great point for developing footballers. Would you apply the same sort of philosophy as a physio? Like, have you focused on that in your journey and in your, you know, whereas a physio, you, you focused on your strengths to get where you are? Or uh, how does it work? How does that transfer? A little bit uh, in some ways, but I think that the, there are so many areas, you know, in terms of knowledge base that, that, that you need. And some of, some of that you get with experience and you do need to just grow with that. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't say that necessarily. No, it's, it's probably not something that that I'd apply as much to, to to my profession in terms of physio. But I think it's really important. I mean, I, I guess so. If I identified one of my strengths as, as rapport with players, well, yeah, you, you need to make sure that you're continuing to develop. You know, your your rapport, your rapport with players. You can't yeah. let that go go by the wayside and become, you know, really dictatory. You know, di what's yeah. the word? I'd be, be a dictator. Yeah, so I think that there's, yeah, look, in certain certain elements, I guess, of in life, you could apply those philosophies, but probably not as much in physio. Yeah, you know, for sure. My yeah. opinion. <laughs> yeah, and so in terms of player management, that's something you talked about a bit earlier with wellness uh, and then GPS had a fair bit to do with it. Uh, what were the strategies before, well, probably wellness, you know, questionnaires might have been around for a long time, but before GPS, was it much yeah. more the hands-on screening is sort of what you would do and then report to the, to yeah. the coaches or the, the conditioning guys, we're going to have to pull this guy back? Yeah, we all we always did a screening, sort of the wellness the wellness screening. But you're right. Look, we GPS were just starting to come on board when I started. But we only had, when I first started, we only, there were three players that would have, you know, GPS in a training right. set. Might give it to uh, right. one, one yeah, mid, right. one forward and, and one back. And then you try and you know, extrapolate the data and, and get a bit of a rough idea about how much the training loads were. So it wasn't it it wasn't an exact an, an exact science. There was a lot of yeah. art to it. That's and amazing. That, that's because that's what a lot of local community clubs are, you know, that's how they're starting now with GPS. So yeah. it's amazing that an AFL club started that way as well. Yeah. And but likewise with from the physio point of view, like we do musculoskeletal screenings. So we use load cells and things like Nord boards and the groin bar or the, you know, force, you know, force frame to measure and track recovery post games. Now yep. we, we, didn't have, we didn't have those sort of things. 
we, did, we didn't have those sort of things at all when I first started. It was a little bit more of the art. And once again, developing, I guess, that rapport and, and, and the communication to be able to, 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 to get the truck players to trust you and, and to make sure that they got to learn they learn about their body as soon as as soon as they could. So, but yeah, yeah I would, that's one thing that's changed. There's a lot more science to the whole game of AFL football now than than what what there was when I first started. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Perry Ferez, what shoes do you recommend? Asics, Nikes. Uh, I guess there's Adidas as well. What 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 would be? Uh... Oh, I've got to got to watch out for my my personal sponsors here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I've got a. I don't don't have a personal sponsor, obviously, but it depends on your it depends on your foot type in many ways and yep. and comfort. Look, personal preference, really. Like I, I personally like to not that I can do that much running anymore. The old body's not 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 quite up to it, but I personally really like Asics, and they they suit my foot type. I find that they provide really good stability and performance it's a really good cross but i know that there's some people that probably have you know better biomechanics than me that feel really really comfortable in, in a pair of nike nikes and adidas for, for that matter so it's really it's one of those things that you could go to a physio and get them to assess you for the type of to, for the for your foot type and give you okay. recommendations around that or you could go to a, a sports podiatrist so for example you know many years ago that's when, when we started we've had a sports podiatrist nikki nikki quigley and she's you know she's still working with the footy club and she's uh, she's got her own practice down in uh Bo morris or sandringham so you know going to have a have a have a chat to a sports podiatrist would some, definitely be something that i'd recommend yeah absolutely that's good good advice yeah. and then this same person is he's getting some Sore calves after running. What presentation exercises can I do? What presentation? I assume that's a typo. Yeah. Well, what prevention. I reckon it probably be what prevention exercises. Yeah. And, yeah. So, so really sore calves, and 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 that's something that I would best exercises for shin splints. Okay. Look, and some of these things, it's really. Once again, there's not. I don't really think there's a recipe. It depends on your foot type. It depends on the type of footwear that you that that you're getting around in, and it also depends a bit on load. So how quickly you've spiked your load. So certainly, you know, quick spikes in loads or quick changes in loads can result in muscles becoming quite sore. And certainly shin splints, you know, along the or medial tibial stress syndrome, where the muscles of the medial medial calf compartment can get quite tight and irritate the periosteum as it insert as they insert onto that medial medial shin or medial tibia. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, look, it, it really is. I think that once again, podiatry or sports physio can help assess the foot type and recommend sh footwear. But, but it's but the reason you get shin splints is probably because you because you haven't got calf capacity. You, you haven't adapted to the to the loads that you that you're requiring. So, so things like calf raises, weighted calf raises, and some some dynamic calf uh, progressions can be really good exercises. But once again, it's it's really hard because it's not really it's, there's not a recipe out there. It needs to be tailored tailored to the individual. For sure, yeah. And uh, we last one from Perry Ferez. What is better, deep tissue massage or cold water therapy? For footballers, okay. Um, I remember you posting an article to the group last year about <laughs> well, yeah, contrast. <laughs> There's not enough. There's there's actually not that much evidence in terms of either of those modalities improving recovery. So that that's a fact. So I think it, once again, it's personal preference. I personally think that those things can help recover, can help recovery in an elite athlete. But I think it's it, it just depends on what you like. Some some athletes will hate cold water therapy, yeah. and 
or prefer massage. My only comment to that is that massage is a pretty passive technique. And yes, you can do a little bit of self-massage, but often it requires other people to do it. So I think that really trying to develop good strategies where you can self-manage is really important for, for athletes that haven't quite got to that elite status. You're spending a huge amount of money on on massage and and that sort of things. Not not as much money on deep on cold what's he what's he said? Cold water therapy. My yeah. my preference to that would be movement in water. I think movement is the best form of, of recovery. So so it might may well be that it's at in the ocean where it's cold, but yeah. movement in in the ocean, getting into a pool and doing some active recovery would be my my recommendation in terms of the best best methods. But once again, personal preference. Yeah, and the best bit about that as well is it's free, like you're saying, so anyone can do it. Yep. Anyone watching can do that one. So here we've got Willie getting a sore knee after running and explosive movement. Any advice? You're getting a few general questions, but we're going we're to get similar answers, I reckon, guys, if we don't get a bit more specific for Bart here. Like physio, like, like um, online physio chat, aren't I? But um, oh, getting a sore knee. There's so there's lots of structures in the knee. If it's if it's related to deceleration and change of directions, often that can be related to kneecap. So your patellofemoral joint, it may be, but look, it's 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 too hard having not not assessed. But I think once again, it's it's with with most things, it's controlling loads and it's progressing your load your loading in a nice graduated manner. So yeah. I just take it, if you're getting soreness, take it back a step to, to and, and do an exercise or do a movement that is non-painful and then gradually layer layer the complexities of movement on top of that. Yeah, it sounds it sounds so simple, but listening to the body can be, you know, it's something that's probably not underutilised is simply just taking rest and, and listening to your body's feedback. Now, this is a follow-on comment, occasionally kicking some photos, but otherwise kicking <laughs> is typically good. So... <laughs> Let's uh, have a bit of a, a good one there. Uh, I'm not going to make any comment. Our other, one of our other physios, we, we get we get stuck into Benny Jansen about doing kicking floaters and doing double handed double handed ball drops. But but, gen but generally, I'm not going to advice on kicking technique. Yeah. So yeah, 2020 was pretty challenging. Obviously, staff staff were down. Everyone had to adapt quickly on their feet with the change of of structure as well as how many different, so you started in Queensland? No, no, we, we started in, in New South Wales, had three weeks in Coogee and, and then three weeks in Perth, two of those in quarantine, but that was actually a really elite training environment that they had the, the, the hotel for two weeks was, you know, had a gym on site. It was five minutes from training you, it was really good. And then, and then we spent about five weeks yeah, about five and a half weeks in Adelaide. And and that was pretty challenging, to be honest, because we're, we're in the Borossa. A lot of, I honestly don't really think the Adelaide government wanted us wanted us there. So they put us an hour away from from Adelaide. And uh, and that was pretty challenging. So you talk about being adaptable, yeah, and, and able to cope with change. That was, um, that was certainly one of those things where you had to be adaptable. Yeah, so, okay. Well, well, we'll wrap it up then. We'll go towards next year. What are you hoping for? What are you excited about for 21? You know, how are you spending the rest of 2020 as well with, with the break that you do have? And, yeah, what are you looking forward to towards uh, next year? Yeah, well, I think COVID normal, that's that's for sure. And, and where things are looking things are looking yeah, up. They're going well. Yep. Yeah, I felt as though 2020 has been so inefficient in terms of use of time because of COVID. I'm looking forward to getting some of those efficiencies back. And I'm also just looking, I'm, I'm looking forward 
to change. You know, changes change can be really can be really important. And I think that potentially Hawthorne, you know, we've 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 we're going to lose, uh, you know, a few players. We've already lost lost some, and there may be some more that that decide to 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 explore other options. So that means that that the playing group's a little bit different. More opportunities for the, for the, for some of the younger younger players, which is always exciting. Because I think that when I look back in and in terms of why I like you know, working in a, in a footy club or working with athletes, it's actually to try and help athletes achieve their goals. And so whenever there's change, when change is afoot, it means that there's an opportunity for to help another young athlete get sink their teeth into in, into being an AFL footballer. So that's quite exciting. So, so that yeah. probably keeps me going around year after year. Fantastic. Some of the guys, yeah, I'll, don't worry. I'll, I'll get, I'll get heckled for this because there, there are quite a few, there have been quite a few of the players listening in. So, yeah. and or that as soon as I start to get cranky or a bit long in the tooth, they'll let me know. And 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 the least one of them, you know, one or two of them will tap me on the shoulder, tap me on the shoulder and say, "Okay, Bart, you, you, you're done. You're you're an old cranky bastard now. Finish." <laughs> I don't think I'm gone. Hey? <laughs> I don't it's think I'm here. Yeah. So. No, it's anyway. good, mate. Fantastic. Yeah, no, and mate, good, good initiative. It's really great that you, you know, you're getting getting some followers and trying to, well, as you, as the business name says, you know, prepare like a pro, trying to bring, trying to bring some of the professional and elite environment to the, you know, to some of the young and upcoming footballers and community footballers. I think it's a great, you know, great idea. So, well done yeah, to you, thanks, and, and and people get involved. Listen to Jack. Yeah, well, it's, I think it's de- it's definitely a a good thing hearing you know from people like yourself, which it is incredibly you know, rewarding to to hear through your experiences that you've had and how you talk about from you know from starting off in track and field, experiencing that, and moving into to football and and how it's changed over um, the course of the the last few years to where it is now, and that you still have that passion to helping developing athletes. That like, sounds very similar to like when you started. Is quite amazing, mate. So hats off to you. Thanks for joining me tonight. You know, I definitely like sharing my information and helping out as many people as I can during this climate. But to have people like yourself on board as well and, and sharing your knowledge makes it a lot more valuable. So very grateful for having you on, mate. And it was good to have a chat. And even when when technology lets us down, we just keep coming back. Just roll with the punches, Jack. We just, just roll. roll with it. The we'll be right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh no! Thanks. Awesome, thanks. Uh, good to chat, and hopefully, people have some. Some people have got something out of it. So, yeah, I'm sure they will. All awesome, right, Bart. Catch thanks, you, Jack. Hey, mate. Cheers. Bye.